setting aside your fear about talking about it. It's like that, that whole thing is it's just like another topic. It's just a topic. It's nothing to get excited or nervous or emotional about. It's just another topic. When you approach it that way without all that, your baggage and anxieties, then you don't raise any red flags for them. That's Bernie and Herman Hamada. And the topic that Bernie's talking about is the birds and the bees. Actually, it's beyond the birds and the bees. It's sexual education for our children. And she said, it's nothing to be afraid to talk to our kids about. And you know, that's very true, but it's also true that there are many voices in our culture that are not afraid to talk to our kids about what they should believe about sexuality. And some of those voices are in direct contradiction to the values that we as Christ followers hold. We live in a society that is saturated with sexual talk and discussion and innuendo. You know, there is little good sex education generally in our culture and even less godly sex education. Sex ed is often reduced to a description of body parts or their functions or the mechanics of the sexual act. Or worse yet, it will be laced with values that uh, are contrary to the values that we hold. And what values do we hold? Well, we hold the values of the designer of sexuality that he set forth in his word. And he actually said quite a bit about it. It's vitally important that the church weigh in on this continually and that parents take the opportunity and responsibility to be the primary voice and the first voice into the lives of our children about this gift that God has given to his people. Rob Jackson is a Christian therapist, and this is what he says. I'm often asked when to begin sex education in the home. As a father of two school-aged children, I know that my wife and I have wanted fail-proof advice for such sensitive topics. Like other parents, we have our questions and concerns. And because I specialize in the treatment of sexual issues and have seen the pain associated with misinformation and sexual sin, I believe the topic of sexuality is second only to teaching our children about God. And in fact, I believe that teaching our children about God involves teaching them about all of his gifts, his principles, and his precepts, including the gift of sexuality. In 2017, this coming year, Pastor Charlie, our youth pastor, and our youth uh, volunteers want to partner with our parents and uh, really just give that foundation. But uh, parents, I hope that you're not waiting. I hope that you take the initiative or you continue to speak into the lives of your children about this wonderful gift that God's given to his people. Blessed are the kids whose parents convey God's design for sex. So I want to share some of the ways in which I think we can do that in a confused culture when it comes to this area. There's an outline in your bulletin, and here's the first way I'd like to suggest. We can help our kids in a sexually confused culture by sharing the positive message of God's sacred gift, countering twisted views, not with the talk, but in 
ongoing conversation. Those outside of the church often believe that we who are Christians have a narrow and a negative view of sex. And some of those perceptions have been justified. But they look at our restrictions. They look at our objections to some of the things that are espoused in our culture. They sometimes see us as judgmental to any way that doesn't correspond with our ways. And yet, we as Christians ought to be the ones who are celebrating sexuality. Actually, actually it was God's gift to his people. And we need to convey to our children a positive and a broad message about it. I mean, you can open the pages of the Bible and in the beginning, there it is. In Genesis, God created man, male and female. He created them in his image. But he created Adam first. And it was found that there was no helper suitable for Adam. He creates Eve. And brings her to and presents her to Adam. And Adam says, wow. That's a paraphrase, but that's really what he said. He said, finally. And he saw her in all her naked glory, and he was excited. And you better believe that that had to do with all kinds of uh, things in his heart, but also the physical and the sexual relationship. And then by the time you get to the Song of Solomon, there's a picture of a man and a woman and the love they share, including the sexual, physical relationship they enjoy. And if you read that in a modern translation, it'll make you blush. Unapologetically, there's a joy in all of that that should be celebrated because it was God's gift. But like any gift that can be misused and abused and corrupted, that's what happened with the gift of sex. And if you continue on in Genesis, it isn't long before you see rape and incest and prostitution and homosexuality and just perversions of all that God intended that should be shared between a husband and a wife. God said it, Jesus reaffirmed it, but throughout scripture and throughout history, this good gift has been twisted, misunderstood, and misused. And by the time you get to the Exodus, where now the people of Israel have been in slavery for 430 years in Egypt, and Moses is God's man to lead them out, and they go out into the wilderness, they spend 40 years in the wilderness, Moses is not going to be able to go into the promised land, nor was that whole generation, but their children are. And so he gathers them before they go into Canaan, and he gives them the talk. Now, Canaan was a cesspool of immorality by that time. Not only did they worship pagan gods and idols, but their religion was practiced in all kinds of sexual orgies. They, they had fertility rites where it was just uh, all kinds of perversion and sexual immorality. And so Moses needs to talk to the people and to prepare them for going into this land. And so you open De Deuteronomy, and it says, Moses said this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, 
to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. And in the chapters that follow, Moses just lays it out there. And he talks about everything, well, from worship to warfare to welfare, from marriage to morality in the subsequent chapters. And uh, he gives them these instructions, this talk. But do you think that Moses thought that the talk would do it? Oh, they got it now? That's all that needs to be said on this subject? No, because look what he says next. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Sounds like an ongoing conversation, right? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, later generations of Jewish religious leaders took that literally, and they would take scriptures and attach them on their hands as a little box and phylacteries on their foreheads by Jesus' day. But Moses really, I don't think, was speaking literally. He was talking about this has got to be just a part of who you are in your hearts so that it becomes part of your conversation in your family so that these truths about all that I'm sharing with you today will be reminded and rehearsed again and again so it's just a part of the ongoing conversation and education that takes place in your family. Not the talk, but a, an ongoing marathon of conversation. Repetition is critical. Repetition is critical. When we talk about these truths that are not only about sexuality, but about faith and finances and relationships and all the values that we hold, they need to continually hear these things because a lot of times we think our children are getting it and they're not there yet. And that's okay. And that's why if it's an ongoing conversation, we can discuss these things and they'll come up again and again. Now, I don't think I remember probably all the times that mom and dad talked to us. I've forgotten them, actually, if there were those times. I just remember the one time, the talk that dad gave us, and it was short. My brothers and I were, uh, we were in 4-H. We all had calves, cattle. We were preparing for the fair. We were out in the corral one day, and we were currying our cattle and, you know, working with them. In a corral next to this one was a, a bull and some cows. And this bull decides to get amorous with the cattle, okay? And so uh, we teenage boys, we're chuckling about this when dad comes around the corner. And we got real quiet. And dad says, you guys know all about this stuff? And we said, yeah, dad, we got this. And he said, good. He may have said more. They may have said more, but that's all I remember. And sometimes we're just relieved. Oh, boy, they got it. I don't have to talk about that. But, you know, we really do. And it needs to begin at a young age. And it needs to be gradual and age appropriate. And there are just spontaneous opportunities all the time in our culture where we have the opportunity to do this. Mommy, how did that baby get in Auntie's tummy? Okay. She's five, there's an explanation that's fairly innocuous. She's 10, there's more of an explanation, and so, and so forth. 
I mean, it may be a, an ad that comes on television. It's like, oh, great, you know. Well, we can panic or we can use that if we're having an ongoing conversation about, hey, let's talk about that. What do you think about that? What do you think that means? And uh, let's talk about what God thinks about that. So it becomes natural. As Bernie said, not something to be afraid of or freaked out about. One of the things that's really important for sex education in the home is the way mom and dad just model their relationship with one another. Certainly with modesty, but the love they share with one another teaches girls and boys a lot about sexuality. Modesty needs to be a part of our family life, our home life. Girls need to be raised to know uh, how fashion can be modest. And boys, how to respect girls. And that there are some negatives, actually. There are some restrictions. There are some boundaries that God has put on sexuality, not because he wants to punish us, but because he wants to protect us and he loves us. And yes, uh, we need to warn them about sin and a broken relationship with God and about unwanted pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases and some of the emotional brokenness that can result in stepping outside of those bounds. But our main message must be broad and positive. And talk about why this gift. Yes, God gave it as a means of reproduction so that children can be born into that family. Yes, he gave it as a means of bonding between husband and wife at that level, physical as well as emotional and spiritual as they come together in union. Yes, it's instructive to two selfish individuals learning to serve one another and to restrain themselves in that sexual relationship as well. And we grow to maturity in using that gift correctly. Yes, it's intended for pleasure. God wouldn't have had to done that, but he did so to bless his children. And Paul says in Ephesians 5 that it points to the relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride, expressing the intimacy that we are to have with our Savior. It's a picture of that, though it's a mystery. That's not going to happen through the talk, one talk, or through one hour a week in a Sunday school class. Parents are the primary source of sex education. And first messages are most potent, by the way. The first message that children hear on this are most potent, and it should be from parents and from someone who loves them. So we can help them in this confused culture uh, by having that ongoing conversation. Secondly, we can help our kids in a sexually confused culture by building a close, loving relationship. The key to safeguarding their hearts and guiding their paths. Paul, the apostle, he wrote a couple of letters in your New Testament to young Timothy. And he had a special bond with Timothy. He met him in his missionary travels. He speaks at one point to Timothy of the faith uh, that Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice had had, probably the Jewish faith, but apparently it was the Apostle Paul that was able to lead him to Jesus, to a full knowledge of the Messiah, and see Timothy born again. In fact, he said, Timothy, you're my true child in the faith. Did Timothy have a father? 
We're not sure, but we know he had a spiritual dad, and that was Paul. And they had the kind of relationship that he could speak into his life about all kinds of areas and know that Timothy would receive it because of the loving relationship they had. In fact, in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I said Timothy was in Ephesus. Yeah, he was the pastor over there. He was the one who was to raise up elders and to teach that church. Ephesus was a hotbed of sexual and gross sexual immorality. Some of us on one of our Holy Land trips went to Ephesus and we saw it being excavated and it's one of the most uh, uh, just actually recovered archaeological remains in that part of the world. It's amazing. We saw where the temples were, where they celebrated Artemis of the Ephesians and they had all kinds of sexual orgies and, and all kinds of perversions in that culture sexually. And so Paul's telling Timothy... Timothy, make sure in your speech and love and faith and conduct and purity, be an example. Now we know that there's so many sexual slurs, sexual innuendo, humor that is employed in sex, off-color jokes that it's so tempting to be involved in. And he said, oh no, as a follower of Jesus, you don't want to do that. In any of these areas and in the area of purity, be an example, Timothy. Now, why would he listen to Paul? Because of that relationship. Because of the bond that they had in Christ. And folks, that's what we need to understand with our children. We can preach at them. They probably won't hear it. But if we love them and have that relationship and build that relationship because of the time we've spent with them in all of life's activities, they'll have receptive hearts to the values that are ours. Now, there are times in their teenage years where it doesn't seem like they're really listening to mom and dad, and maybe they aren't. And I, for one, am grateful for the men that were in our church through those teenage years that could speak into the lives of our sons. And so that's a wonderful thing, too. But parents, grandparents, build that relationship so there's a receptive spirit when it comes to these values. We know from the experts on diet that if we want to lose weight, we shouldn't go to the grocery store when we're really hungry, right? You ever done that? Well, why in the world would we send our teenagers into a sex-crazed teenage world when they are starved for love and affection? They need to be filled up knowing they are unconditionally loved by us when they walk into those scenarios so they're not looking for love in the wrong places. Who do we want to teach our kids about sex, by the way? Who would be best qualified? Their peers? Their friends? At the HIM conference this last spring, I heard Jeff Schulte, who often speaks in our church, say, you know, I tell my kids and we start early and talk to them about sex, I tell them, you know what? Your kids, uh, you kids, your friends are going to talk to you about sex. They're going to try to tell you things about sex. They don't know anything about it. But, but I do, and your mom does, 
And uh, you come to us, and we'll tell you the truth and give you the real goods on this. I took his advice. I told my grandkids that this past summer when we spent time with our 13 and 12-year-old Colton Callie, and I told him, your friends don't know anything about it. They're going to represent that they do. But you talk to your mom and dad, and you talk to us, and uh, we'll tell you the truth about God's good gift. Well, if not their peers, what about the media? Is it trustworthy when it comes to sex ed? Wow. I mean, I read recently that tweens, those just going into their teens on the average, will view about 35 hours of television or internet per week. That's a lot. And by the way, just an aside for parents, I'd really encourage you to kind of set some limits on that. Yeah, there's homework, but then there's games and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I think that we just need to set some boundaries. for their, and That won't make me popular with the kids. I realize that. But I just think for their good, there need to be some boundaries. But I'll tell you what. I don't really like sitcoms. But the ads that pop up for sitcoms and the sexual humor that they use in those ads, it's like, really? Our kids are exposed to that. And in the dramas and in the movies, the graphic sexual depictions, whoa, there need to be some restrictions and there certainly needs to be some talk when they do see those things. And the music, yeah, it's always been that way. It's always been a problem with parents and teens, but hasn't that got increasingly ugly and degrading and demeaning when it comes to the sexually graphic lyrics? And the internet, a whole new era where they've got porn at their fingertips. I read recently the sad news that the average boy has his first contact with pornography at 11 years of age. And I thought, what a tragedy to strip the innocence of these kids. That's 11 years old. So we need to begin earlier than that in that loving relationship. Well, maybe, maybe the schools will help us out. And I think a lot of parents think, oh, yeah, great. Let them teach them so I don't have to talk with them about this. I mean, they say it's values neutral. Don't be fooled. It's not. Anytime you teach in this area, you're injecting values. In colleges, universities, it's commonly taught that cohabitation, living together before marriage, is a, an effective way to prepare for marriage so you'll know if you're sexually compatible. When those educators should know that every major scientific study shows that when there's cohabitation prior to marriage, that there's much less marital stability, much more abuse in those marriages, and less sexual satisfaction. Okay, well, maybe if they started at a younger age, maybe elementary and middle school, right? Well, we who've paid attention realize there was a plot that I think was foisted a few years ago when from the university they brought into 10 middle schools in our islands Pono Choices to expose our middle school kids to not only misinformation that was in there, there was a lot of inaccurate stuff in there, but actually uh, values that were absolutely in contradiction to what God said. There was an agenda behind that. People objected. And there was enough of an outcry that they pulled that back, but now they've come back with comprehensive sex education, which goes K through 12, and they've made resources available to teachers, which I think is actually a lot worse. 
Herman and Bernie Hamada, whom you saw at the outset of this message, got involved in that and with an organization called Peace Hawaii. And it was to come alongside of educators and to work with them and allow kids to opt out or, or come up with alternative plans. And they've done a lot of work in this area, but they've really done a lot of work with their children as well. And uh, I want you to just hear a little bit more of what they've done with their kids, Herman and Bernie Hamada. So tell us, Herman and Bernie, about your children and their ages and what you've done with them in terms of sexual education. Well, Herman is 15, Alana is 11, and uh, we started reading to them probably at the age of four to five. Um, we started with a very simple um, book. It's called The Story of Me, and I can you have it right here in fact. And um, it's a very, very easy read. Um, and that's how we started. The reason why we decided uh, to start so early um, is because we wanted to be the educators. We wanted to be the ones that they would come to with all their questions that they would eventually have. And um, we wanted to also um, talk to them and give them the framework of how God had designed um, sex and why. And so that they would have a better understanding, or the true understanding of what sex is. And through the years, I know you have a loving family. How important has that been in keeping an open and ongoing conversation? about sexual education? More, more so nowadays, uh, uh, just recently here, uh, our children, Herman's in high school and Alana's now in middle school. And so we uh, wanted to make sure that we uh, uh, instilled and also communicated with them um, our values and our beliefs. We've um, also had um, just an open relationship so that when the opportunities come about, they're able to ask us questions versus, for example, their friends. So a lot of times it'll be just as simple as driving in the car and we'll see something or hear something and it'll just open up the topic, questions, and we can just dialogue at that point. In fact, just today, um, Alana is with us and um, we were talking about what we're planning for today and um, when she discovered what the subject was that we were going to be talking about, it opened up another conversation where Alana was sharing uh, what she just recently was discussing with her classmates um, in school. And I then got to ask her what she thought, what her classmates thought, and what God thinks. And um, then I could understand where she's coming from um, as well as if she needed, um, if she had any questions about what God's plan was, um, to also share that information with her. Alana had been talking with her classmates about, oh, this issue of transgender bathrooms, and that was the subject. And I just love the open conversation that mom and dad were able to have with Alana. And I asked Alana the other day, how are they doing? She said, they're doing good, <laughs> teaching her and helping her and her brother. 
the best place for kids to learn about sexuality is at home from those who care most about them. Dee and I uh, did start early with Lance and Rocky and we had booklets that we used. We relied a lot on Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family and that's still a wonderful resource. I mean their website is chock full of great information on that on all kinds of subjects. During their middle school years, uh, we read through Preparing for Adolescence, which is now an old book, but it was wonderful. But there are so many resources available. And Herman and Bernie are actually going to be at a table on the lanai, and they're going to have books that are for sale by Nav Press at, for each level of our children. There's also some of those uh, on the resource library table that you can just check out, including this one, how and when to tell your kids about sex. That'll be at both tables. But these are for checkout or for sale, where you can order them. So our instruction needs to be intentional, structured, and spontaneous, both. Ongoing conversation in the context of those loving relationships. But what about single parents? Recently, I heard a Focus on the Family broadcast where a woman by the name of Dana Gresh who'd written a book about tweens, raising good boys in a bad culture, uh, talked about this. And she said, I realized writing this book, I needed the voice of a man. So I talked to my husband about it. I also needed the voice of a single mom. So she said, I turned to best-selling author Angela Thomas and asked her about it. And uh, Angela, for several years, has been a single mom, not because she wanted to be, but she writes about the sad times, about the lonely times, about the times of fatigue when you have to be both mom and dad. But Angela said it takes a man, a good man, to raise a good son. And she said, as a single mom, you need to have the wisdom to plant good men in your son's life. In fact, she believed it so much that uh, she moved from one neighborhood to another where there was a church where there were men in that church that were actually willing to mentor her son. And she said uh, to them, I want you to know that you have permission to speak into my son's life. And she said to this day, those men are father figures in her son's lives. And uh, she also said to single parents, you don't have to do it alone. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You can ask God, is there a father? Is there a brother? Are there men in the church that can be helpful with this? And, and you need to give them permission to speak into your son's lives and tell them uh, when they've crossed the line. And I really believe that that's true. In fact, so much so that my message today isn't just for parents and grandparents, but it's to all of us, men and women, in this family of faith. Because we have boys and girls and young people in our church that maybe don't have a dad, maybe don't have a mom, or maybe they come from a family where they're not talking about it. They don't go to church. They're not going to be uh, just sharing these truths with them. Folks, we can step into those youth ministries and Sunday school classes and, and build relationships with the kids so that over a period of time, We'll have opportunities to be an auntie, to be an uncle, and to share these and other good truths with them. Some of your common grace mentors, same thing with those kids up at Pololo Elementary. Uh, we can share God's good news in a positive and uh, broad message with them through structured and spontaneous conversations. One more, and I'll be brief. We can help our kids in a sexually confused culture by pointing them continually to the Savior. 
full of grace and truth, who forgives and redeems our missteps. When John the Apostle opens his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you go through the Gospels, you see in every encounter that Jesus had with sinners, and that's every person he met, he brought on the truth. But he also offered grace. And that was true whether it was the woman caught in adultery, a disciple who had denied three times that he ever knew Jesus, or a woman who had all kinds of false beliefs about religion at that well outside of the Samaritan town and then was living in immorality. He brought truth but offered grace. And I love that because our kids will make missteps. They'll make mistakes. They'll blow it. And if we just bring truth and are harsh at that point, we've only shared half the equation. Yeah, we need to bring truth, but we need to bring grace to our kids too and know and help them to know there's redemption. There's a second chance that you can go on from there. You can learn from this and get back on God's path, whatever that misstep was. And we need to receive that grace as well. Because some of us know I haven't done it right. Maybe I didn't do it at all. Maybe I, I didn't start soon enough. But you know what? God's grace can cover the gaps. And we receive that grace and we start where we are with whatever age our kids or grandkids are and others in our church and faith family and we be the people God's called us to be and then equip our kids in a culture that is so confused and misdirected in this area. If we'll do that, God will honor that and all of us will flourish in his good ways. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for all the gifts that you give to us and in particular, this gift of sexuality, which differentiates us from one another and yet brings us together in your love. So Lord, help us to move forward with faith and courage and grace and truth in this area as well as in all areas. I pray in your name. Amen.